Good afternoon. My name is Stephen Capaldo um, from Capaldo with Love. And I'm going to talk to you this afternoon about Logos or the Word of God and loving relationships. And I was going to make this uh, um, something about uh, men and women in the Bible and, uh, you know, the different areas of that. And, and I will. There will be something about that. But I really wanted to just... Uh, broaden it a little bit and say how the Word of God or what the Word of God says about loving relationships in general, uh, those in which men and women are involved, and then uh, also when you uh, meet up with people who are different from you, that have different beliefs or different uh, belief systems or different religions and, and, and how you treat them. Um, so I'll get started by talking a little bit about uh, uh, different types of um, relationships um, involving men and women, and I'm not going to I'm not going to get into all of the different uh, relationships. Uh, I just uh, think that um, somehow in society we've reached a point where there's too much hatred in this uh, dialogue, in this discussion um, of of different relationships um, involving men and women. Um, you know, men and women who have children, men and women who don't have children, uh, celibacy, um, LGBT, different forms of polygamy, which which actually, scripturally, there's quite a bit in the Bible about polygamy. Of, of all the different relationships that you could talk about, that's the one that perhaps um, is the most um, visible in, in scripture. Scripture doesn't really talk a lot about intimate relationships. Uh, in other words, the, there's the sort of the biological standard for uh, procreation that you need a man and a woman. So that's, that's kind of the, that's the, the standard, that's the, the part of the, the order that has been given, the, the logos uh, for biological procreation is man and woman. But as far as the intimate relationships themselves, uh, there's talk about uh, mutual love and respect and that sort of thing, but there, there, isn't, there isn't a lot of scripture devoted to this. But um, really what, what we should know is that when we are considering human relationships, uh, there are things that the scripture is very definite about. Um, human relationships and uh, not, not just of the intimate variety, but just when you run into people who, are, who think differently, they have different beliefs, different belief systems, different religions. Um, what does the Bible say about things like this? It does absolutely say, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say anything about hating people who are different from you. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can get that from Mark 12, 30, 31, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 6. Uh, do not hate your brother or sister, Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, and you can find that in different places. Respect your neighbor's privacy. That's, uh, that's a big thing, is that uh, so many things are come out into the public square that really don't need to be in the public square. Respect your neighbor's privacy, uh, Proverbs 2, 11, and Titus 2, 5. And seek the truth of Logos, of the Word of God, Matthew 7, 7, and 2 Timothy uh, 2, 15. Um, so I think these are, these are the principles that really should um, be found or really should um, operate, we should operate in, uh, when we're looking at, uh, you know, intimate relationships, closer relationships among people, uh, and just our general relationships with people, just people that, you know, 
maybe are different from us or we're different from them. It doesn't really matter. I mean, we've got this unity in Christ, and yet at the same time, each individual life is is different from each other individual life. So we've got both the unity and the diversity that uh, God has designed uh, into um, into his creation and into mankind as as part of his creation, a significant part of his creation, the one with the uh, the, the soul and the, the mind and the will and the spirits, right? Um, so I, from there, of, you know, intimate relationships and general relationships, I'd like, like to talk a little bit about marriage. And I, I'm sure in all of the different parts of this uh, uh, this podcast, I'm sure that uh, some people will be annoyed and they'll want to go <laughs> go away and say, "Well, you know, you've you know you've got it wrong. You've said the wrong thing." That's fine. I don't mind if people disagree with me. I think that that that's fine. I think that all I can say to people is you've you've got to decide things for yourselves. I mean, you've got to um, ask God if He's real, and then if you believe He's real, ask God to to reveal the truth. What is the truth? Uh, you want to get to that, uh, you know that 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 path, that that way to get at the truth. It's not that you're going to discover the truth, the truth, all of the truth at one particular moment in time. No, that's not possible. But just to, to, to be in truth means that you are always seeking truth. That you're walking in the way of truth. You're walking towards truth. It doesn't mean that there's a there's a specific point in time where you you know, you, you pick up truth and there it is. It's all truth. You know, you're, you're holding it all in the palm of your hand. No, that's not what it means. It means that you are in a procedure. You're in a learning mode, a constantly learning mode, discovering truth. That's what that means. Logos, the word of God, the, the order of the universe. And, um, you know, you, and I've discovered what I believe is that the Father Spirit and the uh, Heavenly Son and Human Son, they're all related the, the Father revealed himself as Heavenly Son and Human Son, um, Christ Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what I found, and that, uh, that God did design Christophanies before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, and he can do that. He's able to do that, and, and people can believe in those for redemption. You know, at that time, they were able to do that. Uh, um, as Abraham, you know, he believed in the Lord God through some such... Christophany, some such revelation, and it was imputed as righteousness unto him, because there was not the revelation of Christ Jesus of Nazareth at that time. There was not what we call the gospel at that time. Um, God, in his sovereign wisdom, decided when it was time to reveal the ultimate reality, himself revealed as heavenly son and human son. Um, and so that heavenly son who came as a human son he grew and he ministered and he sacrificed himself. And, and, you know, I'm going to get into that in another message of, as you know, of, about salvation and the cross and any, because there are certain concepts that make people very uncomfortable when you talk about them, but there's no reason to be uncomfortable about these concepts. If you really believe them, what you should be uncomfortable about is using these concepts to pretend that you are superior to other people instead of trying to, um, show them something, show them the love of God and, and, and really kind of uh, pique their interest in knowing more about the love of God. You know, so, so I don't think anybody needs to be ashamed. They should not be ashamed if you love God in Christ and you believe in the cross and you believe in salvation and, and Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and your Savior, if that's what you truly believe, uh, as I do. 
uh, that's nothing to be ashamed of. What, what, what should bring shame is if you, if you present these beliefs as somehow implying that you're superior to other people. And I think, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with uh, so-called Christians, churchianity, uh, because most of the churchians that you're going to meet nowadays, you know, they, they have this viewpoint is that they know everything. They know the way. They know that, you know, that they've got all the truth. And, you know, anybody else who's different, believes in different things, has a different so-called religion, although it's not really about religion, but, you know, churchianity is a religion. But, you know, a lot of the churchians think that people who have another religion are just uh, inferior. But really, this churchianity that puts itself above other people, this is not the true uh, true faith or true belief or true logos, the, the, the word of God, right? So anyway, uh, what does logos, what does the word of God say about marriage and divorce and remarriage? Well, um, Marriage actually is defined by the couple. It's not def not defined by the government. Now, I think that uh, you know, for practical reasons, uh, you know, it's pe people go to the government and get a piece of paper, uh, and that's really the 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 only way in most situations that you can prove that you're lawfully married. But uh, I actually believe that if we look closely at Scripture, that the the government is not the one that determines whether a couple is married. Uh, the 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 people the the, the two people and uh, the, the the general standard given in scripture is man and woman, the two people. Um, they define whether or not they're married, and really, what happened was if they knew each other in the biblical sense, and I think you all know what that means, uh, then they were married and there may have been some kind of ceremony or something like that. There may have been a a, a priest, you know, helping them. Uh, uh, f helping them publicize their vows, this this type of thing, but but really the marriage is defined by the people, and when they have known each other in the biblical way, uh, they were married. It wasn't the government that told them that they were lawfully married. Uh, you could nowadays, if you wanted to have some proof of marriage, I mean, you could sign a church document document or a legal affidavit. Um, and that would be some kind of legal evidence of marriage. But really, the, the government, there's no, scripturally, there's no reason why uh, a couple should have to go and get a marriage license from the government to prove that they're lawfully married. And yet, this is the, a, a requirement to do certain things. And it, and it would be, in some ways, very unwise and foolish, you know, if, it, if a marriage broke down and there was some issue of distribution of assets, if there was not legal proof that was recognized by society, then somebody could definitely get shafted from that situation. So that's 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 why you know what is what what is wise is not always something that is required by the word of God, right? But in any case, uh, what about divorce then? If you're married, what about divorce? Well, uh, I guess the, the the if you try to take the, the purest possible view of scripture, it's that. Um, really, there should not be divorce, really, in the, in the purest sense. It, it's something that we should not really believe in if a man and a woman are brought together by God. Um, that's, they, they should remain together. Um, but if the marriage truly is mocking God, then that's, you know, somehow that has to be a different situation. Um, the, this, the sacrament was never taken seriously to begin with. You know, this this... this 
situation or of, of marriage. The idea of entering into marriage was not taken seriously by one or both people. Maybe they were not competent to do it. Maybe there was a mental problem. There are reasons why a marriage ends up really blaspheming God, and if it cannot change, then it has to be ended. So then in that case, you have divorce. And if there is... Um, or possibly even annulments. Annulment would be a church, uh, a church remedy. But uh, if you if you have divorce for the reason that it was never a sacrament to begin with, then you have the possibility of remarriage. So, I've taken a, a little bit of a look at uh, uh, loving relationships and and relationships in general. Um, the other area that I wanted to look at before I close is uh, what does the Word of God say about uh, loving service to the Almighty Creator? In other words, we all are, if, we've, if, if, we've, if we believe in Christ, uh, certainly we're called to some kind of service. And, and very often, especially between men and women, there is this uh, problem of, uh, you know, what should men do and what should women do? And I think that, once again, this becomes a cause for division. And it doesn't really need to be. If you look scripturally, uh, there's no requirement for official church ordination. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't believe in scripture that there is any such place where it says that in order to have a gathering of believers that you have to have official church ordination. Uh, I don't believe so. Um, a lot of the leadership role seems to fall on the men, but women also show leadership in certain ways. So it's kind of a mixed bag of leadership. There are certain areas where it's, it's very tough to break down and it's very tough to get consistent arguments that prove one thing or another, although people think sometimes they have all the answers. But uh, the, 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 the leadership seems to break down uh, in different ways, that the men seem to assume it in some situations, but then there are cases where the woman assumes it as well. But uh, really, if there's no official church ordination, then really it should just be according to the Holy Spirit. I mean, who has who has the ability to share a message from the Word of God, who has the ability to present uh, specific topics of the Word, uh, who has the ability to present the, the good news of God's love in Christ, what we might call the Gospel, uh, what we do call the Gospel. Uh, maybe, regardless of your, uh, whether you're a, a man or a woman, maybe you have some kind of an ability to, uh, uh, to give a, a sober message of, you know, that the, the way things are and... and uh, Maybe things need to change in our lives because of the way things are in the, in the world now, you know, with everything that's going on and you don't really know who you can trust anymore and you sometimes have the impression you can't, you can't really trust anybody. Uh, you know, maybe there is a, a reason for, for people, men or women, you know, to, 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 to step up because they have an anointing, an ability, a capacity from God to, to forecast things and, and warn people without having getting involved in these titles and, you know, signs and wonders and miracles and this and that. That's really more from the Judaic tradition. That's not really for, uh, for the ecclesia, for the, the, the body of Christ as a formal structure, but still there are people who are able to forecast and to warn. Uh, there are people who can shepherd people. They don't have to be ordained or called a pastor, but they are, they are able to feed people. And so whoever that is, you know, I think it's, it's up to the Holy Spirit to decide who these people are. As far as official church ordination goes, um, I don't see any evidence in Scripture that for a gathering of people to be legitimate, there must be some official 
ordination of this person or that person, this gender or that gender in certain roles, this role or that role. Um, so people really have to go with the anointing they have, whether they're men or women. Generally speaking, it looks like even without ordination that there were certain cases where it was the, the, the man who stepped into leadership in quite a few cases, and then there were in some cases there were women who performed leadership functions as well. So you break that down and you study it and you come up with the best conclusions that you can. I know that people tend to come up with very dogmatic, absolute conclusions one way or the other, and especially the, the more dogmatic conclusions are on the part of the people who uh, believe that uh, only the men can do anything that would be called leadership. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that the Bible actually says that. And I, as I say, I'm quite sure that I've, I've not found yet anything to suggest that in a gathering of believers that there has to be official church ordination. So I'll leave those observations there. Um, the, the things in, in all of these areas, in the intimate relationships, relationships in general, in the whole marriage, divorce, remarriage discussion, and in, in our different forms of service to the Almighty Creator, uh, it's best to remember the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, or Mark 12, 30, 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not hate your brother or sister. Respect your neighbor's privacy and seek the truth of Logos, of uh, the Word of God, uh, the Heavenly Son, who is the human Son, uh, revealed to us um, in the Sovereign's perfect timing as Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus of Nazareth. So I'll stop there for the uh, message and we'll just uh, close with a little prayer as we usually do. I'll, uh, do Psalm 91 and then Psalm 23 and then Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will rescue you from the hunter's trap and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is body armor and shield. You will not fear the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the scourge that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the wicked paid back, for you have made the Lord your dwelling, who is my refuge, even the Most High, who is my refuge. So no evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. Upon their hands they will lift you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, trample the young lion and serpent, because he has devoted his love to me, I will deliver him, I will set him securely on high, because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, rescue him and honor him, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we have Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So thank you very much for joining us, and have a wonderful day. And enjoy yourselves. Uh, be well, and be strong in Christ. Thank you very much. Bye for now.